chapter 28, how are we building? Beginning with verse 9. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. To whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. We'll get some background to this scripture. This is not a, this particular passage, this is not a positive passage. Um, it's actually speaking of um, some tough times that the people are going to go through because of how they are building in their own lives. It was written to a people who were hearing God's truth but were ignoring God's truth and therefore were suffering without the truth. The people of Israel had been having the truth proclaimed to them. It had been spoken to them. God had ensured that it was provided to them in a simple manner. So they were hearing it, but they were ignoring it. And I think this is one of the reasons... This type of attitude, this type of reaction is why we see the Word talk about those who are hearers of the Word but are not doers of the Word. Uh -oh. There's alcoholics that can tell you what the Word of God says, but yet they are not doing the Word of God. Being hearers only but not doers. The, the aim of the ministers to this people group was to teach them the knowledge of God and His will, and to make them understand doctrine. Yes. I've been seeing this week, as I've had some different interactions going on, that even within the, even within the church world and even within uh, leadership, there is a, there's a struggle on doctrine. There's a struggle on finding just foundational truths that therefore must apply to other things within the Word of God. And, and oftentimes, many people believe that, that they have a, a high level of knowledge because they know certain things that they believe. But knowing what you say you believe and knowing what the Word of God says about it is two different things. Just because, that you know, oh, I believe this, but why do you believe that? Where do you support that in Scripture? And, and without proof texting. The idea of proof texting is what people do when they go and they pull one or two Scriptures out in isolation and go, see, this says this. But when taken in light of the entirety of Scripture, that doesn't make sense. That, that conclusion doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. And quite honestly, even there are some things that, that even on the surface will even almost seem contradictory until you get things in the larger context 
and understand the character and the nature of God, understand how He has done things, and you put those together. And that was the aim of the people that were ministering to this group of people. They wanted them to understand and have a knowledge about God. All right, So that's about who God is, God's character. They wanted them to have an understanding of God's will, which is going to be an outpouring of God's character. His will for you will never be in contrast or in, in conflict with His character and with His nature. And then also wanted them to understand doctrine, what, we, what you believe and why you believe it. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Most all of us, at some point in time, we probably came through some denomination. That's right. right? Most all of us came through some. And quite honestly, what we probably got taught in coming through that is what the denomination believes. And so most people can tell you what they believe. And there's two things that happen with that. One is, most of the time, if you can get someone to tell you what they believe about certain things, you can identify their denomination. All right? And then for most people, if you know what denomination they're from, for most, and you get them to tell you what they believe, you can probably already know what it is because of the denominational affiliation. Then you say, well, that seems to make sense because if my parents were Baptists, if my parents were Methodists, if they were Catholic, whatever they were, then surely they would have taught me those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. They would have taught you uh, what, what would have been passed down to them. So you know what you've been told. You know, all of us, we know what we've been told. But do you know why that you believe what you say that you believe? Because knowing what you believe and understanding what you believe changes how you respond to what you believe. The interesting thing is that when we read this and see that you know, this concept that the ministers wanted to teach people the knowledge of God, His will, and make them understand doctrine. Then we start to understand that this kind of is the way of God. I'm going to show you this in the Word. He tends to enlighten men's minds with the knowledge of truth, then affect and control their passions and desires. It's, if you only make a change because of your emotions and your desires, then eventually your head will talk you out of that. That's right. That's All right. That's why you oftentimes hear people, um, sometimes even to a wrong extreme, talk about, oh, you don't want people making an emotional decision in church. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I really hope that you absolutely make an emotional decision in church. But I hope that when you make that decision out of your emotions, it is based in that the truth has been enlightened into your mind. That then you are able to worship in spirit and in truth. Yes. The balance of that which affects emotion and that which is grounded in the truth because the Word of God says about Jesus that He is the way, the truth, the lie. So if we worship in spirit and then we worship in truth, then it is a grounding of our head and our, and our heart. God would choose to enlighten men's minds. We hear it. We hear it proclaimed that about people coming to, to faith and, and uh, that, that hearing, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word goes through that whole process. See, that faith, which really is a, is a, for many people they would say that faith 
they would say that faith is a nonsensical, nonsensical response. It's not really. It really is a combination of both the sense and the heart. Because the sense says, I have learned about the character of God in this instance, and then my heart will choose to trust even though I cannot see because faith is not about seeing. Because if you have seen, there is no need for faith. But that faith then depends on the character and the nature of God and what you know of Him to get your heart to believe in Him and to to trust in Him. So He enlightens men's mind with the knowledge of truth. Paul talked about this where he understood the truth and it was going to eventually have effect on and control on his passions and desires in Romans 7, 19. So he said, For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He says, look, my mind has received truth. My mind knows this is not what I want to do or this is what I want to do. But yet there's that struggle that's going on in the flesh where my flesh is still serving the law of sin, but my inner man has been renewed and he is following after the law of Christ. Romans 8 then, he goes on and says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds. Listen, he didn't say set their hearts. You hear me? Because remember, we know the Bible tells us that as a man thinks into his heart, in his heart, so is he. The connection of the head and the heart. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Why? Because it does not submit I shared with someone this week as we were having a discussion some pastors about submission I said you know here's an interesting thing it is not submission until you do not agree let that one set in on you for a minute you're not submitting until you don't agree and you then say Well, let's quote Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See what Jesus said? He said, look, it's not my will to want to go through. Remember, that's when he's praying and he's talking about, I don't want to go through all this suffering. He says, but nevertheless, submission, not my will, but I will submit my will to your will. See, he didn't want to do it. In his flesh, he was going, I don't want to have to experience this pain and suffering, but I will be obedient and I will submit. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's an enemy of God. Why? Because it will not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Why? 
Why can it not? Well, we could read out. Paul tells us elsewhere. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. This world's mind has not been renewed. Therefore, it has not been transformed. Therefore, it cannot submit to the will of God because it has not been transformed to be able to submit to the will of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We don't like these, these finale type statements. We don't like them because what we like to say is, well, I know some people and they're not saved, but they have a great marriage and, and man, God really blesses them. And Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But Paul goes on to say, You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Isaiah pointed out that the people had been taught in a method that we use with children. How many of you, when you were teaching your kids... I mean, you would do things, it would be very repetitive, right? Yeah. You know, you would repeat it, repeat it, repeat. You'd, hopefully you did little small steps, did little small things, you know. And then once they mastered that, what'd you do? You went to the next step, all right? So now we're going to use the one we learned and the new one we're learning, and then we'll get those, and then we'll move to the next one. We'll use the one we learned and the one we learned and the one we are learning. And it became a building block of education, right? It became this process of learning. That's what Isaiah says. He says, look, the Word of God was taught to you. If we took and did a New Living Translation of this, this passage in Isaiah 28, what he, actually, what he actually says is that the people responded and said, why are you treating us like children, teaching us this one thing after another, repetitive and repetitive and repetitive, you keep repeating it, why are you doing this this way? But yet then Isaiah turns around and says, but they were not doing it. And because of this, he says, even though there have been people that have been speaking the word to you, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, he says it's going to end up that you're going to have to go into captivity and people of a different language are going to come and then finally maybe you'll start listening and once again God will teach you precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Learning about God and His Word was something that had to be repeated. And I would even tell you today, it's something that needs to be repeated. I really thought about it a lot. Um, it crazes as is. Sometimes people don't know things that they do or say or that they post that make me think. I started thinking about it about Wes and Will. Because of them going to these drills and, and all this, this, this uh, you know, the, the, the process of them being asked questions up in front of people and saying, hey, where, where did you find you know, the disciples and the apostles and this and that? And, where's, and them rattling off. And, and here the other week, Jerry actually asked them something. And, uh, and, and it was so funny because I think she asked about maybe the disciples instead of the apostles or something. And, and one of the boys actually corrected and said, no, the question's this. <laughs> you know, 
It's this. It's where, you know, and then he starts rattling off, you know, three or four scripture references of where they are. How many of you would be comfortable if this morning we said, all right, we want you to, we're going to get a group of you up here and then we're going to start asking questions about where do you find this in God's Word? Look, I mean, hey, I'm with you. I mean, you know, you know, remember? Bert and I, we were in Uganda and, and praise God, praise God. I mean, that's all sincerity too because we're in the van and, and one of the guys we were with Man, he started wearing Bird out. I mean, he was asking all kind of, how many books are, or how many chapters are there in this, and what's the, what's the shortest chapter in the, in the Bible? What's the shortest book in the Bible? What's this? I mean, he's just, and, I mean, and, and Bird's, I'm sitting over there going, dear God, please don't let him ask me. <laughs> and because he was on Bird like a chicken on a June bug. I mean, I mean, he was just wearing him out. I mean, and he wasn't being ugly or anything, but but he said, "You got power. You go back home. You need to learn before you come back." I mean, I mean, he's a bird's eye. When I come back, I'm gonna know a bunch of this stuff. I think Bird's glad we moved it from November to February of next year too. But I mean, hey, so the whole kind of repetition led to familiarity. Now I want you to stop and think for just a moment. I, I, please don't answer. I'm not asking for an answer. Well, every time I ask a question, I promise I'm not asking for an answer. All right? But, but I want you to think in, inside your head for a moment. You know, inside your head, not inside your mouth. Think inside your head for a minute. All right? What is something that you personally have done so much that you could sit here today and you could tell us how to do it? You could tell us the details of what you used. Let's say... I don't, how many of you ladies cook? I mean, how many of you cook and your husband actually wants to eat it? All right. No, I'm just kidding. All right. How many of you make biscuits from scratch? Now, now see, my, my mom, Gene's like, I'm in this. Hey, look, my mom made me, when I, I homeschooled for, for a little bit there at the end, and my mom made me, she taught me a, took, a cooking class. And I had my own recipe box and all this stuff. I'm just telling you. Not, I wasn't real proud of it then as a teenage boy. I will tell you that for sure. But I could make biscuits from scratch, man, like them cathead biscuits, you know, that, you, that your grandmama would make. I mean, I could make them, man. She made me make them. I'd be in there making them. I mean, it was good stuff. If we had some honey to go with them, it would be awesome, right? So, look, how many of you have a recipe? How many of you always have a recipe that you make often enough that you don't have to look at the recipe in order to make it? Yeah, see? I mean, you, you kind of why? How did, how, why is it that you know that? You, you've done it so much. You've done it so many times. You don't even think about it, do you? I, I, I even, I watch some of these people when they cook that, that they, have, they have measured stuff out so many times that they do stuff in their hands and junk. They're, they're just, oh, yeah, that's about, and, and it, somehow, and it's right. You know, because you have done it. Repetition led to familiarity. Familiarity led to understanding. Understanding led to application, and application led to transformation. See, when we take so one of the reasons that so many people are not truly transformed by the Word of God is because you don't you're not familiar enough with it. 
You don't do enough repetition in it to, to get familiar, and therefore familiarity, you don't understand it. And since you don't understand it, you don't apply it. And since you don't apply it, you haven't been transformed. That's right. Man, that was good. Amen. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what the Word said. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Shall be on your heart. Now, hear this. These words that I command to you today, so they had to come into your mind. But in coming into your mind, he said they need to be on your heart. In verse 7, he said, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Not just sitting talking about what your favorite sport is. Oh man, I mean, we just, we're going at it today. I'm just telling you now. We're just, we're just taking a sledgehammer to the wall. Not talking about what your favorite hobby is. I'm not saying you don't ever. Don't misunderstand that. But what, where is the balance of what we're doing? That He has spoken these. He commanded these things and He said it needs to be on your heart. And if it's on your heart, then it will come out of your mouth and it will get on your kids. Yes. You will teach them diligently. Not just, hey, I taught them one time. Johnny, don't throw anything at me. Don't throw anything. But I'm going to... <laughs> got my teacher back there. I'm telling you, I have a hard time when I do hear the few teachers that will say something like, well, I taught it. It's up to them to learn it. I struggle with that sometimes. Look, I, we all understand. We all know that you can only teach somebody. You, know what's you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, but you can't salt their oats. Y'all, oh, sorry, I am. You know, he can make them thirsty. He'll get thirsty. Look, I understand there's some people, they refuse to want to learn. But you know what? When there's a commitment to the, to the end result, not the process. When, when there's a commitment to, I want you to learn this. And even if I typically, I don't care if it's me standing up here, if it's you teaching your kids, if it's you sharing the gospel with your friends, if telling them doesn't work, then show them. If showing them is not what works, give them something to read. Figure out how they learn and communicate the gospel in that way. In our kids, when you diligently teach, then the commitment is, I'm going at this until I believe you have learned this. I can't make you apply it. But I can ensure that you know it. And if it is on my heart, then it will be important enough to me that that is what I will do. Forget it just being kids. In your family, in your extended family, in your friend group, in your job, if this Word of God is not only in your head but is on your heart, it will come out in all that you do. It will come out in all that you say. You won't even be able to stop yourself. I can't stand being around people when I go into the workplace, though, that you can tell it's contrived. You know, you walk in, you go, good morning. They go, oh, blessings to you in the name of the Jesus. You know, that's the, you know. <laughs> you know, and everything you say, you know, it turns into, that. There's, a, there's a point where you sit and you're going, man, give it a rest. I mean, because it's fake. You feel it. But then there's other people. 
that it is so on their heart that when they begin to interact with you and they say, well, man, I, you know what? I'm going to be praying about that. It doesn't sound, it's not contrived. It's not, why? Because it's not just in their head. It is on their heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. I have to remind myself because I, I, sometimes I'm, we've got a plaque hanging above when you walk in our, our front door. It's hanging above a closet that's dead ahead of you when you walk in. It says, God is the unseen guest and the unseen listener to every conversation in this house. Look, I, I'm not, I, I will promise, even as animated as I am this morning, I'm not preaching at you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But we need to ask ourselves, how, what's the balance of conversation in our homes? What's the balance of conversations with our friends? And sometimes you can't balance out a conversation at work because you've paid to be at work. You need to do some work. You know? But when you're at home and when you're, when you're with your friends, what's the balance that comes out? Is it, a, is it about God? Is there some, Somewhere in there, is there something about God? Or is it more about all the things and the, and the habits and the hobbies and all, anyway? But he tells them, when you, this is how you ought to teach your children. When you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when they're about to go to bed, and when they first get up. You know what he just covered? Your whole life. He says, all right. So when you wake up, you ought to be talking, oh, God's giving us a new day. Speak about the things of the Lord. Share about what God is doing. When you go to go to bed, talk about the good things that God did today. When you're walking along in the way, you're going throughout your day. You need to be talking about what God did. Teach them. Teach them. Oh, by the way, when we're sitting in the house, teach them. So we have to ask ourselves, like this couple in the video, what have you been teaching your children? What have you been teaching your family? What have you been teaching your friends by the mannerisms of your life? Can you imagine the shock that had to come on that couple when, when that, that, that counselor called them in and their son says to them, afraid, says, you know, they don't tell what he, exactly how he said it, but can you imagine if he looked and said, look, I know y'all caught me, but I'm just doing what you have been doing. Why have y'all got me here when I found this stuff in your bedroom? Come on, bro. <laughs> Can you imagine that you walk into that room, you think you've been doing something in secret? Uh -oh. But yet you know it's wrong enough that you're concerned that your child is doing it. But then your child looks at you and says, I'm doing this because I learned it from you. Come on. That's right. Yes. What have we been teaching our children? When we rise. When we lay down and sleep at night. When we're going in the way. When we're sitting in the house. What are we teaching them? Because even when we think that people are not... The Bible talks about it says that you are an epistle. You're, you're seen and you're read of men. People see it. They see our lives. They see that we proclaim that we're of Christ. They see that we proclaim that we're Christians, that we are followers of the Most High God. Then what are we teaching them about Him?
Hebrews had to talk about this in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. It says, by this time, by this time, you ought to be teachers. By this time, you shouldn't need anyone to still be teaching you in the basic things. But instead, you should be able. We should see a progression in the church. We should see people... Now, let's say that people are kind of raised in church their whole life. Then we should see a child come through a children's ministry... Ain't no clown ever saved me. I don't care. You can get, you can get five clowns in your kids' ministry. That ain't one of them ever did anything to save my life or change my soul, change my eternal destination. Look, I enjoy having a good time. I, I loved when I served in children's church and all that. But if your game that you play doesn't have a focus that moves them toward an understanding of something about Christ, then you're just playing games and you're wasting church time. Yes. Do that on your own time. That's right. Mm. <laughs> because this is why. This... I, 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 the, the, the discussion came up this week of people saying, well, well, how come is it that we have so few young people now that are hearing the call to ministry? I said, it's because so few of you are doing ministry. Yes. Yes. Because our, our kids' ministries, and thank God our youth ministry is not this way, but our kids' ministry and our youth ministries have turned into entertainment venues. And therefore then church becomes an entertainment venue. And or there becomes a disconnect because people feel like, well, you know, big, big church is not entertaining like what we're doing in these other areas. And so I don't like it. It's all just that. They, they're doing the Word and they're reading and they're praying and all that junk. Right? Really? Really? The reason that we can't get people up to being teachers is because that doesn't start when you become an adult. That starts when you're in children's church and you're learning where the apostles are in the Bible. That starts with you beginning to understand. Caleb goes and plays basketball over at the, at the bridge. One of the guys that, that's over there that's also in... He, in ministry and serves in another church here locally, he works for, for me at our plant. And so he told me the other day, he said, he said, hey, he said, I had this group of, of all these guys. And he said, he said, your boy Caleb was there. This is not embarrassing. You good, son. You all right. <laughs> Look at him. Did you see him? Did you see him? He was all zoned in. See, he was, he was like holding Rachel's hand up till about the end, and all of a sudden he's like, what? Huh? Well, I mean, he, he was like, right, right knuckle on that thing. No, you good, you good. I, went, I ain't going to do you like that. But look, so, so Dre comes and tells me, he says, yeah, we, we're talking about what I preached, and he says, man, he said, I, I looked at this group, and said, a bunch of those guys, said, some of them go to church and stuff. And he said, I asked him, I said, what is Repentance. What is repentance? What does that mean? 
And so he said, man, some of them, they started answering, and they get all kind of crazy stuff and everything. And he said, now I look, and I said, Caleb, your daddy's a preacher. What's repentance? <laughs> and for half a moment, I went, oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> you half a moment, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> See? <laughs> and he said, he said, but hey, he said, man, he started answering. said, he was telling us what repentance means. He said, I looked at him and said, was that the same as confession? So he said, nope, it's not. And he started explaining confession and the difference between confession and repentance. I, was, I, was, I had a moment. I thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Yes. That was not the dance I did yesterday. <laughs> Look, guys, in the home, in the church, if we're not starting from the time that these little ones are off in there. You think sometimes they come back in here with some popsicle sticks and all that stuff and everything, and you're thinking, eh, you know. Look, I'm telling you, just listen to some of them. They're telling you, uh, what, is that, what does that rock mean? Well, this rock was the rock that was over the grave, and it got rolled away. You ask them, what's that whipped cream stuff? Oh, that was this, you know. Well, hey, what's up? What's some popsicle thing? Oh, we when Jesus is coming back and on the clouds and, and learning. Sometimes... Sometimes I wish that we walked out. Mm. But you start there, you start there, and then you move them into, and then they hit that, that youth group, and all of a sudden now they're serving the kids' ministry, and they can serve and teach because they learned. They were learning at home. They were learning at church. So now they can become a little level teacher because they can teach what they know. And then as they become a young adult, then they can be helping to teach with the teens. And then as they become an older adult, then they can help teach young adults. Because they grow and they mature. Precept upon precept, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. By this time, you ought to be teachers. So how should we be building? All right, we've talked about all the... Here's what should be kind of... Well, how do we get there? Psalm 119, verse 10. We're going to do three verses out of Psalm 119 right quick to see how do we go about building properly, precept on precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Psalm 119 and 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. One of the first things, if we want... To build properly is commit your whole heart. Amen. This isn't a... I, I, watched a, uh, I was watching a, a video of a guy preaching the other day, and he had a great illustration. I tried to find it. I tried to find the video illustration. I couldn't find it. But here's the, here's the mental image. This guy and this girl, they're, they're walking down a path, and they're coming out on this bluff on a mountain. And they're standing up there, and man, it's beautiful. The sun's, you know, starting to set, and beautiful colors and all this, and and the, the guy looks at her and he says, Amanda, we've known each other for several years and my life has just gotten better and better since I've known you and it's just been an amazing ride and I, just, I have something that I want to ask you. And boy, he pulls out a ring box and he gets down on his knee and says, I just want to ask you if you will become and she's she starts oh yes yes oh that's so fantastic that's so fun now now as long as I can still date but but then yes we're gonna get and he's whoa whoa wait what what 
She says, well, I mean, you don't mean like every day of the week, right? But, oh, this is so wonderful. And, <laughs> and it, there's video going on, and, and finally he walks away. He, and she's going, what? What? Wow. Now, the illustration was he said, you know, when, when you go to ask somebody to, to enter in this relationship with you, and they go, because she started in, well, well, my, well, what about just one week every leap year? I don't have to be faithful one week on leap year. He says, I'm done. I'm done. If we want to build right with God, you've got to commit your whole heart. There's no, well, God, I'm willing to be yours except for when I want to do this. God, I'm willing to be yours except for when I want to say this. God, I want to be yours except for when you tell me that I've got to give this up. Because, you know, it, God will even have you give things up in your life. There may, be th- there may be hobbies you have or whatever that are not sinful, but they're just a problem for you. Yes. you you're not going to find biblical support. That's the difference between you, you, you having a conviction about something and, and something being of a nature that it would condemn. Because you may look and say, hey, I can't seem to do this without overcommitting my time to it. I can't seem to do this. There's some people, you know, they can't do some stuff without getting mad. So the real question about our, our, our life then in following Christ is when we start committing our whole heart, we've got to know whether, is, is it a part-time hobby? Is it an all-consuming lifestyle? Or does other stuff like that pull and distract us away? Maybe I've got to get in the car on the way home from work and I'm going to have to pray. And say, God, don't, don't let me take this home. I'm not going home to be able to get my work out at the house and, and, and get that out of me. I need to, God, I'm going home to be a husband. I'm going home to be a wife. I'm going home to be a mom, to be a dad, to be a brother, to be a sister. We've got to commit our whole heart Psalm 119, verse 11, he said, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored up your word. The second thing we have to do is not just make a wholehearted commitment. We've got to know what God has said. But how terrible in our lives to do what I heard an illustration in a hiring process. They said, how terrible to climb to the top of the ladder and find out that it was leaned against the wrong wall. How terrible to build our lives and get close to the end of our lives and figure out, I haven't built on what was truly the foundation of God's Word. I just went off of what people told me. I didn't really study God's Word to understand what I believed, to be able to defend it to be able to stand and and discourse with people and say, this is what the Word of God says about that. If we're going to build properly, precept on precept, line upon line, here a little there, we need to know what God has said, which means we're going to have to read God's Word. Repetition leads to familiarity. 
I found that the more that certain discussions have been going on that I've been a part of, the more I become familiar with certain passages of Scripture. Because those passages of Scripture that apply to that discussion, then they become more and more. And certain things that I am studying the most right now, it's one of the reasons why Romans 7 and Romans 8 and Galatians, and, because we spent all the time preaching all the way through Galatians. So the stuff that we spend our time on becomes familiar to us. How many things in your personal life would you be honest and say you were more familiar with than you are with God's Word? The third and final thing. He said, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So we need to commit our whole hearts. We need to know what God has said. And then we need to pursue God helping us understand. Number one, pray over the Word. Number two, listen to the Holy Spirit. And third, compare and contrast Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 14 says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, or they're foolish. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If we want to understand the Word, we can't. Now, now, this is one of the mistakes that people make. One of the mistakes that people make is they try to go, oh, well, I'm just going to go listen to what, I'm just going to go try to listen to what I think the Spirit's telling me about the Word. Buddy, you will get off and lost like a ball in high weeds if that is your only method of determining. Because I'm going to tell you that the Spirit of God is not the only Spirit that's going to try to speak to you. Come on, bro. And, so, and He's not always just going to try to get you to go be contradictory to God's Word. He would just make you be wrong whether you believe something about the Word of God and what it says, and it's got just enough truth to come across as valid, but you're still off the mark. Yes. And so people are just, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just going to be super spiritual, and I'm just over here praying. I don't need anything but the Holy Spirit to speak to me and hear the Word. Problem is, is I don't trust your or my ability to solely and, and singularly hear the Spirit and recognize that that's all it is. Trust but, but, that is part of it because it is spiritually discerned. But you must also, you must also take and read the entirety of the word and compare and contrast the word. Whether you go, wait a minute, wait just a minute now. If I hear somebody saying this, and I thought, oh, that sounds good to my spirit. But I go back and I read the word and I find something and 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 it is clearly not that. Well, I need to stop and not just try to feel my spirit here. But I need to compare and contrast and study. Because you know what will happen? Come on. You'll actually end up studying the Word. Yes. You'll end up studying the Word just trying to understand something that you hear or that you see instead of just going, that ain't the Word of God. 
Well, why is it not the Word of God? Come on, brother. See, there's a lot of stuff that people can tell you what they're against, but they can't tell you what they're for. They, oh, that's not the Word of God. Well, what, what, is, what does the Word of God say about that then? Come on. Well, I know it doesn't say that. Uh-oh. Okay. That's great. You've given us the negative of it doesn't say that, and you need to know it, but what does God's Word say about that? That's what our world, I see it. I see it a lot of times right now happening in our world. I see people say, all we hear from the church is, that's sin. That's wrong. That's not what God, well then what did God plan? See, they don't just want to hear us tell them what's not God's word. That's not building. That's tearing down. And you may need to tear things down, just like we had to do over there, in order to build the right things back. But you can't tear down and then leave it in ruins. You can't tell your kids, don't do that. If you do it again, I'm going to just... What is it you want them to do? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they seem foolish. See... Those people in Isaiah said, why are you treating us like kids? If you go back prior to that in Isaiah 28, what you, what you learn, if you read some of the commentaries and stuff, they were explaining kind of what was going on. What really these guys were doing, they were going and they were getting drunk and they were turning the teaching process into basically like bar songs. Mm-hmm. They were mocking it. It was almost like if you went precept upon precept, line upon line. Here, little, there, little. They were mocking the process. But then they turned around and said, so why, why do you keep doing that? And he's going, because you're not following what you've been taught. You hear it, but you don't heed it. You can say it, but it's not into your heart yet. It's made it to your head. But you haven't let it go down and let these commands be on your heart. This was my final statement, and I, I did it as my final statement. I can't, I can't speak for you guys. This was the statement that God put in my heart. Today, I recommit myself to building my understanding of God, His Word, His doctrine, precept upon precept, and line upon line. Let's pray.